As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the automatic doors. They will be closing in a moment. Thank you. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow is just a dream away Hello again, we're just about ready to hit the track, so please make sure your safety belts are securely fastened, as they always should be in your vehicle. Test sequence is downloading, and we're clear for dispatch. Okay, let's move them ahead for test one. Yes, folks, we only have high-class stuff on this show. And now, here's a special treat out of Tampa. A little bit of ever-loving, cuddlesome fluff. Our own... W... Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 135 for the week of September 6th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in. This week, I'm joined once again by an amazing gentleman and a true Disney legend, as Richard Sherman of the legendary Sherman Brothers sits down with me to discuss a new tribute to the incredible work of him and his brother. We'll look at and listen to a new CD featuring a unique compilation of classic songs performed by the greatest guitarists in the world. Justin Michoni, a man who's been truly living the Disney dream since he was inaugurated as the Disney Park's chief magic official, returns to the show to talk not about his CMO experience per se, but Disney dreams in general. We'll talk about what our ultimate Disney dreams are and then put that same question to you. I'll play more of your listener voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's Walt Disney World news, the monumental news coming from Disney this week is the $4 billion acquisition of Marvel Entertainment instantly catapulting Disney into the very popular and lucrative superhero business, an area of that the company hasn't really been present in, save for maybe The Incredibles. Last year, the Walt Disney Company said that they would be returning to the family content that has always defined the Disney brand, But the one thing that seemed to be missing were the blockbuster films that would bring people, especially young boys, into the theaters. CEO Bob Iger realized earlier this year that the issues with underperforming films like Race to Witch Mountain was the choice of films and the execution of the films, as he told the Wall Street Journal back in May. Well, this new deal is going to give Disney control of more than 5,000 Marvel characters. And while little girls have their princesses, little boys are now going to have their superheroes. Now, it should be noted 
that one of the first things people are going to think about is how is this going to affect Disney? More importantly, how is this going to affect some of the other theme parks and uh, brands that have control of some of the Marvel characters? Well, at least for some time to come, Disney's not going to be able to make movies around Marvel's high-profile characters or even integrate them into its theme parks, as existing contracts with other studios and Universal's theme parks are already in place. Universal's contracts apparently give it exclusive U.S. rights east of the Mississippi River for theme park attractions built around certain of those characters, notably Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk, X-Men, and Doctor Doom. What does that mean? Probably nothing coming to Walt Disney World in forms of those characters for many, many years to come. And according to Universal's filings with the SEC, Universal Orlando retains those rights as long as the attractions are in operation. That being said, Disney will be able to capitalize on their success as the percentage of all revenues generated from the films and even those attractions featuring those characters will now go directly to Disney. And while many have speculated on how this deal may affect many of the Marvel franchises, some of which are maybe a little bit less cute and fluffy as Mickey himself, I would expect that Disney will certainly keep the integrity of those characters and franchises rather than potentially alienating legions of Marvel fans. Now, one would expect that in time, we will see the effects of this deal affect all parts of the company in some way, including the theme parks and books and animation, TV, Disney consumer products, and so, so much more. Very, very, very exciting big news as far as this acquisition is concerned. And I look forward to seeing what is going to happen in the years to come. Now, it's hard to top that type of incredible news, but I wanted to mention just a couple of other things very quickly, because there are some rumors that I report on that I often wish weren't true, as was the case with the rumored demolition of the Tomorrowland Skyway building. Now, although that building has sat empty for years, save for maybe being used as storage, nostalgics such as myself were sad to see photos of the building being demolished this past week. It is believed that this demolition pushed back the opening of the TTA until September 12th. We'll have to wait and see what, if anything, is going to be used in that area, possibly for an extended queue for Space Mountain, which is set to open in mid-November. As for some of the other rumors that I have in the Walt Disney World rumor mill, I'm going to hold off again this week in anticipation of what I think is going to be a D23 Expo filled with many, many announcements and even more surprises. But in the meantime... If you have any news or rumors that you want to share, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or more importantly, come by the forums at wdwradio.com and discuss them with other Disney fans. There are some things in life that we encounter that are often just so well done, so complete, and so timeless that they simply cannot be improved upon, nor should anyone ever try. And many times that mastery comes in the form of art or music, and the list of songs from my next guest that qualify as such reads like a best-of collection of Disney music. 
And while his work is enduring and remains a classic for new generations of Disney film and theme park fans, a new CD has just been released that offers a different look at the incredible music of the legendary Sherman Brothers. And today I am once again excited and honored to have back as a guest Mr. Richard M. Sherman. Mr. Sherman, welcome back to the show. Well, it's a great joy to be back with you, Lou. It's a really great pleasure. Thank you. And before we get started, I have to say it's been just over a year since you first came on the show. And I have to tell you that for me, it was still such an incredible personal and professional highlight and unquestionably the one episode that I still hear such amazing feedback to uh, to this day. And so I want to start off by thanking you once again for that. Well, thank you uh, for having uh, me on it. And uh, my brother thanks you. He's in England, of course. And I thank you. For, I'm here in Los Angeles. <laughs> And uh, and just, you know, going back to that, I actually had a chance recently to speak with Julie Andrews, and we talked about her work on Mary Poppins. And to hear her talk about working with you and Robert uh, about Mary Poppins and, and the music and the songs made me appreciate our conversations so much more. Oh, she's a sweetheart and a, a true a true trooper. She's a really great lady of the theater and, and uh, also a w wonderful human being, a wonderful person. Absolutely. So, but, you know, I, as well as I think so many other people, feel that, that the art that you and your brother created wasn't only, you know, simply unparalleled, but, but pardon the obvious reference, it was practically perfect in every way. So wow. when, I, when I learn of this new tribute CD that was just released called Poppin' Guitars, A Tune Full of Sherman... I was admittedly a bit skeptical about how the songs that I grew up with would be played, and I certainly believe that these new versions couldn't entertain me as much as the originals, but I'm happy to say I was very much mistaken. So tell us a little bit about how the idea of the CD came to be and how you became involved with it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first of all, uh, James Jensen, who created this uh, wonderful company called Acoustic Guitars, uh, and uh, no, solid air. It's solid air music, and he he specializes in acoustic guitars. So solid air music uh, refers to the fact that these are not uh, electronic guitars. They're not you know amplified or anything. They're just played by one person on 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 the instrument. It's an amazing specialty that that uh, it was a challenge when I first heard about it. Also, but then he he has. Uh, uh, friendships and uh, working collaborations with the, some of the greatest guitarists in the world that are that are around all over the world. And so his concept and he and his collaborator Bernadette Bowman, who co-created the idea of pop and guitars, uh, approached me with the idea of do, having individual guitarists from everywhere, <laughs> far reaches from Australia and Japan and you you name it that 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 uh, played. Uh, these various songs, and each one would select a number and uh, do it. And uh, I, I was very kind of intrigued by it more than anything else. Then I heard some of the original uh, performances, and I said, my God, this is exciting. It's so different. It's never been done like this. It's pure instrumental by one soloist who, who sits and plays the guitar and interprets the song. So you're not just hearing uh, another soundtrack or, or another orchestral rendition. You're hearing an individual's statement about it and what it meant to him. And it was very wonderful to, to hear how it was all de developed and, and pr produced. And I, uh, it would, took a period, quite, quite a period of months, I mean, close to a year, to get all these 15 performances uh, down. 
but they're just absolutely elegant, one after the other. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and while this was being produced, did you have a chance to speak with or, or collaborate on with, with the performers at all? Or how much involvement did you have maybe as the production was going on? Very little, to tell you the truth. The, uh, the uh, Bernadette Bowman and, and James Jensen were very familiar with my music and my songs, and they took a, a, a rather large, prodigious list and then submitted it to various people whom they thought would be right for each individual uh, number or a group of them, and then they, the artists themselves picked out the one they would like to do, or else James or, or Bernadette would suggest, perhaps you would do Spoonful of Sugar and you would do uh, The Age of Not Believing or whatever. And uh, the, the final uh, selections were made by the guitarist and, and the producers. And I would just be privy to hearing uh, initial recordings and things like that. They'd send them to me, and I'd, I was uh, absolutely... You know, overcome. And sometimes I would say something like, "You know, he could take that a little bit more uh, slower. I think he's pushing it a little bit, or something." And then that would go back to the guitar. I think he'd do another take on it or something. And uh, basically, the uh, the production was done by the the people in the record company. I was just kind of like privy to it. At the end, I, I did get a, a delightful chance to meet uh, Lawrence Juber, who, who did Spoonful of Sugar. And I did meet uh, uh, Tommy uh, Emanuel, who did the delightful Winnie the Pooh and uh, performances. And they're great guys, and we talked about it, and uh, it, it was it was kind of special. But uh, the other people were all from all different parts of the of the world, so I didn't have the joy of meeting them all. But they all come together on this record, and it's really kind of special. It, it had to have been, I can only imagine, you know, somewhat thrilling, obviously, to be approached about this. But maybe even a little bit frightening when you hear that somebody else is going to put their own spin on, obviously, what are timeless classic songs. Well, you know, it, it, here's the thing. Many times, uh, uh, every songwriter in the world will tell you this. There are times when somebody makes a record and you want to shoot them. I mean, it's, <laughs> oh, my God, what you've done to me, you know. And sometimes you hear something and you want to kiss them because they've done a great job, a superb job. So... Once once the initial performance is done, anyone can. It, there's no restricting who, who's going to play what. But to me, the the, the uh, intriguing thing was, we're not going to have a vocal. We're going to have no voice at all. We're going to have strictly one person sitting down and playing a guitar. My God, what is that going to be? Is it going to hold up? Is it going to work? And one after the other, they did these remarkable statements, and each one has a different style, a different flavor, and it becomes very, very special. And uh, the people that they selected were all virtuosi. I mean, they're, each one of them were, were great people, so uh, they're all virtuosos, and therefore uh, uh, they gave their own personality to the songs, and uh, I was I was knocked out by it, really. I, I think they, were, they did a fabulous job. A couple of... Uh, uh, one in particular, I think, Small World, two, two fellas put together, who were soloists on, on their own numbers, uh, put that together and, and did a beautiful job. And, uh, you know, each one did a great job. I know Doug Smith and Mark Hansen put together a, a duet on uh, Small World. It's just superb. That's like the concluding number. And it, but each, each uh, performance, performance was great. And I had to imagine when I first heard about this and I put the CD in that it had to have been difficult for them as musicians to take these very, very complex songs and break them down into a single instrument and still be able to convey that emotion and that story from it. Well, uh, 
that's that's the magic of being a, a fine musician and the magic of a, a ta- interpretation. I think it's all interpretation. You can put that same piece of sheet music or, or a, a lead sheet, for example, which is a melody line and chords, in front of 25 different people, and you'll get 25 different pieces. They'll all sort of kind of resemble the song, but they'll all be different, and each one has its way of doing it. You put the... the uh, uh, the same piece of music it's just a personality see they're not writ- they're not uh, doing a pre preconceived uh, arrangement by an arranger and then they sit down and play the notes that the arranger set up they're creating their own interpretation and that's a whole different can of peas i mean it's it's very very special it's unique is the word i mean it's unto itself i got the sense that the choices that they made were not necessarily if this makes any sense, they weren't musical choices. They were almost emotional choices so that they could make this single instrument sing and perform that they way and they, they needed it to. Oh, I, I, I say yes. I, I really do. I know uh, when I was talking to Tommy Emanuel, he said that Winnie the Pooh, as soon as he heard about the Sherman Brothers, they wanted to do an album, he grabbed Winnie the Pooh. He said, I want to do that because it's something very personal with me and my little boy. Uh, and I, I love to play it for him. And he loved that song. And so it, the whole thing is like a day in the little boy's life, the way he, he creates the, the Hundred Acre Wood and he goes into it and, and the dreamy quality of it all. And then the playfulness of, of Pooh comes out in the melody, the mainframe melody. And all that, it, it's very uh, personal. And uh, I was very moved by that. I thought it was, it was very touching. And he did a, a superb uh, piece of work on that. That's the opening number in the album. That's quite good. And the thing that I, I felt as the first time I listened to the CD was I, I thought back to our earlier conversations and how I, I felt that this single guitar arrangement allowed the music to remain as your father instructed you so many years ago, which was simple and yet sincere. And I still yeah. sort of found myself singing along in the confines of my car um, <laughs> with, with this single you know, song, the single acoustical guitar. I know that that's the amazing part about it. It has a very warm, personal approach, and it it does sort of each each number tells a story and paints a picture. And uh, you know, in the old days of radio, now a lot of your listeners won't know that they only know about television. But there used to be a thing called dramatic radio, where they have radio shows, and you were the greatest set, set designer in the world because all you'd hear is is the creaking of a door, and then you could see inside of this old castle or whatever whatever your uh, story is all about, and your mind took you there. And here, the music, the singular instrument, can take you into another world. It just can trigger something, and that's wonderful. It's a very wonderful thing. I found that uh, there was a certain poetic element to this, and certain songs like Feed the Birds are one of the ones that that stuck out with me, because it, it was able to convey that same emotion without a single word being spoken but it really had a much more intimate feel i mean how do you think that that makes a difference to us as a listener and you as the original composer well you're getting very close to the artist you see uh, the songwriter creates the, the melodic line and the storyline or whatever it's going to be and then the interpreter interprets now in this case like feed the birds one of walton's favorite song really i used to play it for him all all the time but uh Doug Smith, who was a superb guitarist, he, he, he played the solo on this. And he just poured his heart into it. He, he tried to say, this has a lot to do with humanity. This song has a lot to do with kindness and love, and it doesn't take much to be kind. 
and he knew that he felt that in his in his heart and it came out the way he played it and uh, it told the story of feed the birds because most of your listeners will know this feed the birds is not just the story of how much it costs it tuppence to to buy a bag of breadcrumbs <laughs> it has it's symbolic it's how much it doesn't take very much to give love to be kind to be loving to be caring and so that's what that's what we're saying and Walt loved that song because we didn't say be kind and caring and loving we said feed the birds tuppence a bag he knew what we meant yeah and let's let's talk maybe about some of the individual tracks um, and they're all wonderful but but some of the ones that really sort of stuck out for me as I listened. And the first one, like you said, was Tommy Emanuel's, his take on Winnie the Pooh. Very, uh, very simple, yet a, yet a powerful track. And I know that you told the story about how this song has a, a special meaning for you as well. Oh, yes. Well, it, it's just, uh, it's a, a wonderful poetic statement. He, he brings you into, uh, into a, another world with, with his, uh, remarkable! It sounds like a harp, you know, the way he strums that thing, and then he goes into the plucking and the the normal. Uh, I can't talk technically too much about the guitar because I'm not a guitarist, but I will say this: he went the the, the gambit in, in in interpreting this thing, and he did a fabulous, fabulous job on it. And and uh, I I mean I was just knocked out by it, and also I was knocked out by the fact that Lawrence Juber played a counterpuntal situation in in spoonful of sugar because spoonful of sugar had a little counter melody a little i call it a piccolo line uh when melody of spoonful of sugar is played da, da, dum, dum, da, da, dum, yeah, that part uh there's a little secondary line that goes a little uh instrumental thing and lawrence played both <laughs> I, I don't know how he did it with just just his two hands one playing the the frets and the other playing the the uh, the keyboard, the uh, uh, sounding board. It's just amazing how he did it, and I I don't know how he did it, but uh, it's all there. It's all on on the instrument. It's just wonderful. Uh, and uh, it, it's great to hear you say that because I, as a non musician, was completely blown away by knowing that these were single acoustical guitars and the way that some of these performers made them sing. I, I don't know how else to describe it, and you could only imagine the technical expertise that they had to have had to get those kind of sounds out of the single instrument. Oh, yeah. I mean, each one of these fellows is a virtuoso, and I must say that, uh, well, for example, Lawrence Dewar for years played with the lead guitar with wings, you know, Paul McCartney's great band. And uh, so, I mean, these guys are all experienced, uh, professional, uh, top-notch people. And uh, they play on uh, with other groups, and they play solo. And each one stood out. I know there's so many great ones. I, lo I loved uh, the, uh, the fun that, that some of them had, like Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. That uh, was Kenny, Sol uh, Kenny Sultan. He did a remarkable job. It's just down home uh, plucking. I mean, he's just fantastic the way Great Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Such fun, you know, it's a fun thing. And Hutchabai Mountain with Al Petaway with a sweet, poetic uh, rendition of just a beautiful lullaby. He did a beautiful job on it. Each one of these guys are so good. I don't want to just uh, not leave any of them out, because each one did his own special thing, and uh, they're so good. It's are, true. Are there any that stuck to it that you like particularly? There were, there were a few, and I tried not to, as I was making mental notes of the ones that stuck out to me, I, I ended up listing about... 
16, uh, 15 of the 15 tracks on my list. <laughs> you know, I love the fact, for example, that Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, a, a theme, one of the greatest, I think, that you've written, Disney theme park songs, was uh-huh. included on there. Uh, You're 16 by Greg Hawks, done uh-huh. very, very different than all the other ones. Again, right. obviously made popular by Ringo Starr, but he used a, a different type of instrument when he performed it. Yeah, I think it was a, a ukulele. I, I'm not sure, but I think, maybe. Uh, I'm, I, I have to listen to it again now because I'm not sure now. A- absolutely. But, and when I first listened, I, I, I'm like, is that a ukulele? But it, it sounded it sounded right. I mean, it sounded like been, it was made a, for that instrument. You might have been a soprano guitar. I, I don't quite, I'm not quite sure. That, that's something you'd have to ask the producers. Because, you know, uh, there's so much to know about each one of these. Each one of these guys is so good. They've all done solo albums and many solo albums. And uh, every once in a while, they, they team together. And, for example, this company, uh, Solid Air, won the Grammy for the best uh, instrumental album a couple of years ago uh, for a Mancini album. They did a, 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 I believe it was a Mancini album. And it was fantastic. Uh, Pink, Pink Guitar, I think it was called. <laughs> from the Pink Panther. And uh, that was the first of these sort of collaborations of all these great hit people and they decided they were going to do if they did it for Mancini they'll do it for the Sherman Brothers so that's how we got our uh, our album they just they told me they said we, they had a great success with that one and they want to do another of that kind and uh, so I was very thrilled about that and I think each track brings something a little bit different like you said very much the personality of the performer but one of the ones that really jumped out at me was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because yeah. there's so much to that and, and I had to go back and listen to that one multiple times because there's so many different styles very very fun song oh yeah that, he really is that's, that's Eljo uh, Hasselhoff he, he's I think in Germany he, he's a, a German fellow and he did a fat, fantastic job on it yes just uh, really great. I, I mean, uh, each one, you know, came with his own sense of humor, his own sense, sense of rhythm and style. And people that might know these songs inside and out, backwards and forward, will hear something new when they hear these because they're so specially done and uh, beautifully recorded, really. Absolutely. And of course, it, we'd have to mention no tribute to the Sherman Brothers would be complete without including It's a Small World. And like you mentioned, Mark Hansen, Doug Smith really added their own level of dimension to it and really wonderfully wonderfully done yeah beautiful beautiful uh, collaboration there each one of them those solos in the album and then they collaborated on this number and i, I it was kind of great because that was the finale you know everybody knows small world and they, they either want to kiss us or kill us for, <laughs> for for having written it but uh they'll, they'll enjoy this interpret I, this interpretation it really is uh, very lovely and uh, heartfelt and now, when you, as a composer and as the songwriter, when you hear another individual's interpretation of it, specifically on the CD, do you still feel that sense of ownership? Do you feel as though these songs are or yours, or that they've sort of brought something so unique to it uh, that it's kind of a completely different arrangement altogether? Well, I tell you something. Just depending on the on the performance. I want to either feel like, yeah, this is something that somebody's done of mine, or I don't want to have anything to do with this. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard performances, and I will not talk about who uh, of my material that I, I just would I would give anything than having never had it recorded. Sometimes it's so brutal to me 
that somebody else might like it. You know, I, I can't I can't say that. But sometimes they they take these things and they just go in such a direction, and I don't know why they they even release the stuff. But yeah, so then I, I say, oh, I don't even I don't know what that piece is. I I've never heard of that. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm happy to say. I'm very happy with it. You know, most of the time, uh, the performances are wonderful and interesting and different, and I and I love it. I'm not, uh, you know, that snobby or bitter about it. But a songwriter, uh, particularly if he's writing for film or for stage, is there the on the initial presentation of the work. I mean, is there when the initial soundtrack is cut or when the initial uh, original cast album is, is recorded, he's there and he makes sure that the tempi are right and the arrangement is cool and and the performance is, is the, the way it should be and all these things, that's important. But once it's out of the cage, then anybody can record it. It's, there's a, a license, it's a mandatory license and anyone says, oh, I want to take that number and I do it my way. And maybe his way is not the way the songwriter likes it, but that doesn't make any difference because that's that's the freedom of of the recording industry, uh, and and you get used to that. And most of the time, you're very happy because people are doing a trying very hard to do a good job. I don't think anybody deliberately tries to do a bad a bad performance. It's just that in your particular feeling, in your gut, it's not the way you wanted it. I'm sure I've actually listened to the CD probably five or six times so far. Um, and I, and I find that the more I listen, the more I pick up new subtleties and incredible transitions each time I listens, which I think makes it not only a wonderful compilation, but really, again, a testament to you and the original music and the talents uh, of, of you and your brother, as well as the people who are performing the CD. Oh, well, that's very, very kind of you. Actually, uh, we, we were very lucky because we worked for the greatest storyteller that, that, that ever, certainly the greatest storyteller of the last century, Walt Disney. And he gave us these wonderful assignments uh, to, to musicalize these, these delicious projects, the Popmans and, and, and Winnie the Pooh and Jungle Book, all these things that were so special. And so we got a chance to work with some of the greatest liter- literature uh, and to interpret some of the greatest literature written in the past centuries, and and uh, it gave us uh, the inspiration to, uh, to 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 achieve. You know, we were lucky to do that. And uh, I must say that uh, I'm very pleased that uh, people like our stuff. I mean, it was done with a great deal of joy and fun. We love working on these things, and uh, it's a marvelous feeling to know that the thing you love to do, other people love. I mean. Lots of times people do stuff and nobody likes it, you know, and this is, it's kind of lovely when somebody says, hey, I really dug what you did. And I say, wow, that's nice. Thank you. Well, like I said, we, we've all been so aware and so uh, of these melodies for so long. And fortunately, they're faithful to the originals, although they sound completely new, yet familiar. And I think there's something very, the word I was trying to, to come up with as I was listening was there was something very comforting about hearing them played in this manner. And I think, I, I really believe that people are going to find themselves listening to this CD much the same way I did, with a very sort of satisfied, familiar, happy smile on their faces. I think so. I think it's, it's a very enjoyable, thoroughly enjoyable, soothing, fun piece. And you'll chuckle at some of the things that are just funny and cute. 
and some of the things are very touching and, and sentimental. And each one has its own personality. And you must remember that there are something like a dozen or more than that, the 13 uh, of the greatest performers, 14 of the greatest performers uh, on guitar that are still alive, that are living, playing on this stuff. Each one is making his own statement. And I, for, as a co-songwriter of these songs, feel that uh, Bob and I have been done great justice. I think they did a beautiful job. Absolutely. And if people want to find out more information about Poppin' Guitars, A Tuneful of Sherman, they can visit AcousticMusicResource.com or you can go to Amazon.com. You, there you can purchase a CD. You can also purchase a behind-the-scenes DVD as well, which I highly, highly recommend. You see Tommy Emmanuel recording Winnie the Pooh. You see uh, get, sort of getting a master class in the arrangement of it uh, from Lawrence Schuber. More importantly, not only get to see the process of recording, but the artists get a chance to speak with you in sort of a, a real-world environment when you come in and, and talk to them and meet them for the first time. And watching you hear that first playback of Tommy Emmanuel's recording oh, yeah. was just, I mean, once wonderful, wonderful. The DVD is a, is a no-brainer to add on to the collection. Oh, it's really... It, <clears throat> that was a memorable time, yes. I remember... Because they didn't tell me... They didn't prepare me for the fact that Tommy had just finished recording it. Because they said, come in around 11.30 in the morning and we'll talk. I'll, I'll have you meet some of the people. So I sat down. I just... We were chatting for a minute. I said, now you want to hear it. And bang! Wow! It was right out of, the, out of the gun. It was exciting. And they taped... And they, they videoed it. <laughs> And watching your the ability for us to be able to watch your reaction, as well as the reaction of the person who gets to play it for you, was just spectacular. Thank you. You're also going to be, if I'm correct, you're going to be at the D23 Expo in September? Yeah, there's, there's a, a, a lovely uh, uh, a film that my son Greg and my brother's son Jeff put together. Greg Sherman and Jeff Sherman. It's called The Boys. a story all about Bob and myself. And uh, I'm going to it help introduce it when they when they run it at the expo. Absolutely. I, I am going to yeah. be there. Um, I, I look forward to not only seeing that, but I hope to finally have the honor of, of meeting you in person and shaking your hand. Hopefully, hopefully, before before the thing. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I love it. Wonderful. Okie dokie. Well, listen, it was great, great talking to you. And, thank you. Uh, and thank you for having me once again on your program. Congratulations to you and your brother. I hope you're proud of this wonderful tribute that these producers and performers created for you and that all of us can enjoy. So, Mr. Sherman, thank you again so, so very much. Thank you. And uh, when, when you put this together, I'd love to have a copy of it. Again. Absolutely. I certainly will send it out to you again. Thank you, Lou. All right, Mr. Have Sherman. A good, have a good day now. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Peter Pan. Well, how did it start? 
Uh-huh. Once upon a dream, it was all started by a mouse. Then what happened, Tink? Over the past many years of doing the show and writing the books, I've been so fortunate to have been able to meet and become friends with so many wonderful and fascinating people, and some of whom I've only seen on TV or in movies or whose books I've read or simply others whose work I simply just admired. Others are Disney enthusiasts, just like myself, whom I've formed with what I hope are going to be lifelong friendships and then there are, there are others that kind of fit into all of the above categories for my next guest I first saw on a video online from Disney and I instantly felt pride and admiration and okay maybe just a wee hint of jealousy because he was truly living out the Disney dream when he was inaugurated as the Disney Parks chief magic official and since then He's been on the show probably more times than Julie Andrews and Richard Sherman combined, and in the process, also has become a good friend. And of course, I'm talking about Justin Machoni, and I want to welcome him back to the show. Thank you so much, and I, I'm officially going to put on my resume that my name has been mentioned in the same sentence as Julie <laughs> Andrews now. So just so you know, that might go right at the top. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. You know, it's getting harder and harder to write intros that impress you. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you've never failed. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm always laughing by the time you're done. So it's great. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, and, and like I said, you know, I've had a chance to get to know you not just through the CMO position and you coming on the show, but we've we've gotten together at some event. We actually just saw each other a couple of weeks ago over at Magic Meets. Had a great time there. And by the way, made me just a little weepy. When you were talking about the auction totals, as you were sort of um, filling in as MC for that, uh, I got to I got to tell you, not to totally derail our conversation, but I I never cease to be amazed and impressed by what's possible when people come together around around a great idea like that, and it's such a privilege for me to just even to be associated peripherally with that, you know, just to get to stand there and read off these astonishing, you know, dollar figures is just it's incredible. So. I'm just grateful you guys let me be there to be a part of it. No, it was uh, it, it was <clears throat> an amazing day uh, on many levels. And you gave a great presentation, by the way. I mean, t- something that was I found so inspiring and so motivational. And I'm sure anybody that had a, the opportunity to see it at Magic Meets would definitely agree. Well, thank you. I, I really I do appreciate that. I was a little nervous before it started. But um, one of the greatest opportunities uh, you know that I've had uh, coming out of you know, this, this mind-blowing experience of being the being the CMO for a year is that uh, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people and if there's anything that I can say to encourage people to follow their own dreams and to believe that yeah something magical is possible in their lives too then I you know I don't want to pass up that chance so again it was a it was a great privilege to be able to be there to be a part of it yeah and I hope that you're able to share what you did with other Disney enthusiasts and, and Disney fans and, and other people because it, it sort of uh, – it transcends, I think, 
the Disney experience and your experience per se. And uh, and speaking of which, this time you're actually not back on the show to talk about the CMO position per se. Something very different, but really maybe an extension of that role and experience for you. Because it's really not just about your Disney dream, but others as well. Um, and like I said, as CMO, I think you lived for many, myself included, what was that ultimate Disney dream? Absolutely. Uh, and it's it's funny because when the CMO position was announced, um, none of us entirely knew exactly what we would be doing if we were to win, you know, exactly what we were applying for. We just knew that we'd had a dream of kind of in the most general sense of the word, working for Disney. And then over the course of the year, I got to see my own dreams come true, dreams I didn't even know I had, you know, come true and come true in ways I'd never imagined. But the best part of the experience throughout was connecting with other people and hearing their stories and the number of people who approached me in a park or at Magic Meets or here in my hometown around Pittsburgh um, and said, oh, you're, you are just, you are living my dream or, oh, I've always wanted to be fill in the, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. The number of people who, you know, this position kind of opened the door for them to sit down with me and share with me their dreams, their passions, the things that they wish if they had just that one chance to do something at Disney World, you know, what would it be? Just really got me thinking that this could be a lot of fun for somebody like you who knows so much about the parks and is such a... I don't want to say a fan, because fan doesn't even begin to cover the way that I know you feel about your experiences with Disney. Um, but I just thought it'd be a lot of fun to sit down and kind of play with the idea of, all right, in, a, in an ultimate dream scenario, what would be your Disney dream? Exactly, because, you know, with the CMO position, it wasn't something like that you dreamt about as a kid. Oh, my God, I want to grow up and be CMO. But it kind of became the dream when it was presented to you, which I, which I thought was interesting. But we started talking recently about, like you said, you know, we talked about that as when it was the, the CMO uh, contest came out. I'm like, oh, my, that, that is the ultimate Disney dream to be the person that works for Disney and whose primary role is making magic. And we started talking about, well, what maybe is the ultimate Disney? Because maybe that's not Justin's ultimate Disney dream. And maybe that's not my ultimate, and certainly maybe not everybody else's. And we thought that maybe we would talk about, maybe Justin, tell us what your ultimate Disney dream is. And then I'll talk about what my ultimate dream is and sort of discuss it and then invite feedback from listeners, not just about ours, but about theirs as well. And when we talk about that dream, and, and before you start going on about what your dream might be, there's some rules, also known okay. as guidelines. There's the code, which are more like guidelines. Um, so we can kind of make these, and, and the first and foremost thing is that they're realistic. Yeah, yeah, they have to be. Um, they have to be physically possible, perhaps on the very, very, very far edges of possibility, but they should not kind of disrupt the laws of nature in any way. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good explanation or not, but you, right. you know what I mean. No space-time continuum things. You know, you can't go back and you know work with Walt. So, sure. That's uh, a perfect example. Right. I mean, and I think, too, a couple of other guidelines that we will follow, and, and later on we'll see how we're going to ask others to do the same, is it can either be maybe a single experience or it could be something long-term. So maybe it's something that you just need to do, that you just would love to do once or for the day, or maybe it's something long-term. So for some people, maybe it's 
you know, I'd love to be Tinkerbell and fly from the castle just one time. Other people might say, you know what? I would kill to be a show writer at Imagineering. So those are the kind of dreams. And again, too, keeping it specific as much as you can to the Disney theme parks. Absolutely. No, those are, those are great parameters because everyone's going to have their own thing. There are some people who are perfectly content leading the lives they're leading, living wherever they live and, and working wherever they work. And for them, it would be that one-time thing. You know, my wife, just to kind of tie into that example, when I was bouncing these ideas off of her, she's a huge Tinkerbell fan. She is, uh, she's a dancer. She's, she's very graceful. And she just has always, from the first time that we were there watching Wishes, she said, I want to do that. Like for her, being Tinkerbell before Wishes just once would be the ultimate dream. So that might be, you know, an example of a one-time thing. And then for other people, the possibility of moving out to California and working for Imagineering and designing the next incredible attraction, you know, a much longer-term sort of project, um, is perfectly fair game as well. But keep it realistic, keep it somewhat possible, and... uh, and, uh, you know, then kind of play around with it and see what sort of fun ideas might be out there. Absolutely. And I think this will be a lot of fun to sort of explore because I I know that when we were talking, I'm like, well, CMO, it can't get any better for Justin than that. So I'm actually curious to know, and, I'm, and this is why I'm going to make you go first, because I, I want to know <laughs> what's your, what's that ultimate Disney dream that you have after living what for many of us we kind of thought might have been you know, the zenith of ultimate Disney dreams. Well, yeah, please let me preface this by saying I, I have lived my dream. I'm, I'm still currently living the dream because this is the kind of thing that's just not going to, it will never die for me having been CMO and the experiences I've had, the stories I get to tell, the people I can now call friends, um, you know, that's not going to go away. Um, but in the course of it, there are always other things we'd love to try. Um, I'm a big fan in addition to all of the attractions and the rides and the restaurants and the resorts, one of the greatest parts of visiting the Disney parks for me are the various nighttime spectaculars. You know, there's just nothing like standing on Main Street and watching Wishes or, or picking out your favorite spot around World Showcase to catch illuminations, you know, at the end of a, a wonderful day at Epcot. Um, fantasmic on both coasts. If you've never seen it in Disneyland, it is a completely different experience than Disney's Hollywood Studios, but both are just, you know, every time I see it, I think it can't possibly get any better than this. So as I was kind of playing around with this idea, one of the things that came to me was I just wish I knew for one day what it would feel like to be in Disney's Hollywood Studios and to get to take the place for the day of Mickey, kind of give Mickey a day off, and and feel myself kind of rising up out of the top of that mountain peak and 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 point my fingers to the sky with with sparklers shooting out of them, you know, and, and the sweeping epic, you know, movie score type music soaring around me and knowing that there's thousands upon thousands of people just that can't wait for that, you know, that climax at the end of Fantasmic. And I said, boy, that would just be an incredible thing to experience just just one time. But because there's really no fun in dreaming if you're not going to dream really big, right, Lou? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think people like myself were smiling as you said that. And either that's something they've wanted or like, that would be real. Could you imagine standing on the opposite side? Of Fantasmic, and, and hopefully the people who are the cast members don't take this for granted. 
but looking out on the faces of 9,000 people crammed into that theater watching every move that they make. I have lost count of the number of times that I've seen it from a guest perspective, but just that one time to be on the other side of it. And if I can't have pyrotechnics shooting out of my fingertips, you know, even being on the, on the ferry boat that comes across with all of the characters on it, waving and dancing, you know, at the end and just seeing people's faces would be incredible. But, but even bigger than that, if I had to paint one ultimate Disney dream scenario for me, um, it stems from kind of that love of those nighttime spectaculars and an experience I had when I was in Disneyland uh, last June, I guess it was, uh, a little over a year ago. Um, I had the chance to, to work with some incredible people I was out there. At the end of the one, one of our days of working, they said, have you seen our, have you seen our fireworks? I said, no, actually, I just got in town yesterday. Uh, you know, I was working last night. I didn't have a chance. He said, oh, well, we, we've got to find the perfect spot. So... We go backstage, we climb a ladder, next thing I know, we're walking across the rooftops of Main Street up to a corner, right up the corner of Main Street where uh, Tomorrowland is kind of off to our right and looking down upon the thousands of people filling Main Street. And I stood there, you know, a couple of stories above everybody else with this cast member friend of mine and one of the pyrotechnicians who was there observing and controlling exactly which you know, which shells were firing at which points in time and making sure that everybody was safe, first and foremost, and then that everybody was getting the most incredibly magical show possible. And it gave me a whole new perspective on that. So I think, in short, that for me, the ultimate Disney dream scenario is I want to create, I want to be a part of the team that creates from scratch a nighttime spectacular in one of the Disney parks that's able to take the pyrotechnics and the water effects and the movie scores and the, and the visual images, be they projected on castles or on, on sheets of water that are shooting up, and, and ties it all together to create the next unforgettable nighttime Disney experience. If I could, if I could see it through from the beginning and then stand there, in whatever park it is, the very first time that it plays for thousands of guests and look around and know I was just a part of creating something that these people will never forget. That, I think, at least for today, will be my ultimate Disney dream. See, and I like that. I I like that because it wasn't, hey, I'm Justin, really the next step for me is to be, you know, CEO. So, Mr. Iger, move over. (laughs) It's Justin Machoni, CMO, CEO, CFO, PhD. Um, (laughs) But what's interesting about that is that it still ties into the the desire and the reward of seeing the guest reaction, seeing the the response. You don't want to be somewhere backstage. You don't want to be in an office somewhere. You don't want to be even like a writer. You want to be able to be out there and see the instant result and reward of what you're doing. And I think that's that's very interesting, uh, and I think too that very much ties into that that an extension from, from the position that you have, which was being able to have that guest experience in everything that you do every day of your job. Absolutely, the very best parts of being CMO are interacting with other guests and seeing firsthand the effect that that the Disney magic has on people and how how truly incredible uh, you know it can be in the right setting so i i certainly would want to be in a place where i could see that i just want to i just want to maximize that effect 
you know, so that instead of a family at a time or a group of a few hundred at a time, that I'm able to say I was a part of a team. And that's a big part for me, too, is um, I want to I want to be a part of the collaborative Disney creative environment. You know, the team of, of incredibly brilliant professionals in all sorts of disciplines that come together to make those kinds of things happen. Yeah, I'd love to see how they work. So I want to be a part of that team, but the end result is I want to know firsthand how it's affecting thousands and then eventually millions of Disney Park guests. So that's me. Now I guess it's about time after you've, you know, if you need to critique me, you feel free. But I'm going to have to turn the tables at some point because I've got to put you on the spot. I want to know, and of course all of your listeners want to know, Lou Mangiello, what... What would it be for you with all of the experiences you have had with Disney, the things you've seen, the people you've met, the experiences that go far beyond what any of us could have ever imagined? You've already been a pretty dream-filled guy, but for you, what would take the cake? Much like your wife, you know, I would love to be Tinkerbell because I, I fit the height requirement. Um, the weight <laughs> thing, maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> You know, that is absolutely not the answer I was expecting you to give. So that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, and like you, um, since it, since you didn't give one answer, I'm not going to give one either. I kind of thought about this as I kind of had separate ones almost. I kind of had my, my personal ultimate dream and then almost like a professional one. And years ago, growing up, being such a fan of the parks and wanting so desperately to be a part of it. Uh, I always thought that my ultimate dream was I wanted to work at the Haunted Mansion. It was yeah. my favorite attraction and to say, God, if if I could go out there and be a butler and take on that role and emulate some of those cast members that I had seen through the years to really get into it and make that experience for the guests as much fun and as memorable as possible. That's what I thought was it. I'm like, I could be a Haunted Mansion butler Till the day I die, and then they no, can see, bury I, me. In, they can bury me right there next to Master Gracie. And that is that is the sign uh, of great cast members, and also of of a great Disney attraction. There are, you know, I know a lot of people who would say the same thing about being a Jungle Cruise skipper. You know, wishing that, that if they could do that every day for the rest of their life, they would they would want nothing more. For me, for some reason, it was Splash Mountain because that just captured my imagination. I said, man, if I could be a cast member, just just loading people in and out of logs all day long, but, but being inside Splash Mountain, nothing could be better. So I, I totally understand what you mean. Now, however, that being said, um, as I got older and hopefully a little bit wiser, that dream was shattered uh, because, number one, I realized that these cast members need to wear these long, hot, heavy costumes in the dead, pardon the pun, of summer. Uh, but more so, and much like the Jungle Cruise, which is something, I'm like, wow, that would be great, just telling jokes and having fun. The only problem with it is that you really kind of have to stick to the story and the script. And thus, you can't talk with the guests, and you can't interact with the guests as much as I would like. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to be a part of their experience. And that's why, really, Justin, the CMO position was for me, when I sent in my awful application compared to yours, was, God, if I can be part of making these people happy and being part of their experience, and that was the ultimate dream. Um, 
since you've shattered that single-handedly by taking that role away from me, I had to think of something else. So, um, really a, a possible, um, real world scenario of, of a personal dream might be to be a tour guide where I could interact with the guests and share my passion and get them excited about their trips, almost kind of doing what I do on the show by pointing out those hidden treasures and those overlooked details. And God, I would relish the day that I could give a family a whole day at a park and a great time without even riding a single attraction if they were willing and and were total geeks like me. Uh, But to be part of that and sharing what I love about the parks so much as a tour guide might be kind of one of my ultimate goals. Your your knowledge of the parks is obviously almost unmatched, uh, at least in terms of everyone that I've met. So you would be the most incredibly knowledgeable. Your passion is just just exudes out of you. The only question I really have in this role, this might be something you have to throw out to listeners at some point, is how do you look in plaid? <laughs> you know, is that, the, the plaid vests, is that a good look for you? I, I don't know. I haven't seen you in that before. I'm not sure I could pull that off, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> But I want the little riding crop that they get to point everything out with. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. You know, there's a trade-off there. Sure. I, I just think it would be fun. I mean, even if it wasn't – actually, what I would – sort of taking it further, uh, I would love to be able to do it for individuals or for families. So it's it's much more of a connected experience for me because I think that Backstage Magic and Keys to the Kingdom and, and Undiscovered Future World are amazing tours and I highly, highly recommend them and I'm going to cover those on the show because I think they're that good and I think they're they're that worth spending a day or half a day to do. But if I could take that individual or that small family and it just be a very, very personal kind of one-on-one thing with them, doing what they want to do, going where they want to go or helping sort of guide them along with the things that I think they would enjoy in the parks, outside the parks, around the resorts um, would be a total thrill for me and I would do it all day Every day. Um, and and kind of like you drew a parallel between my dream and, and my experience as a CMO, that makes a lot of sense for who you are, for what you do for your listeners on the show, for what you do for people through the, uh, through the audio guides. You know, in, in some small way, if there are people listening right now who are saying, you know what, that would be awesome. My dream is to have Lou as a tour guide. If that's somebody's ultimate Disney dream, that is in some, you know, in some ways possible through some of the things that you've already created and already made possible. So that's really a natural extension of, of who you are. But I love the fact that the focus, again, is on making the experience as, as incredible as it can be for the guests. We both had an opportunity you know, to throw out something. You've been in the parks more than anybody I know. And you could have thrown out any sort of thing that would be really personally enjoyable for you, kind of self-serving. But the fact that you put that focus on other people and you want to share it with other people, that is what makes that dream that much more magical. And that's what's going to spread that much farther. And hopefully it will be the kind of thing that lives on long beyond, you know, your career in doing those tour guides or being that tour guide, you know, would be the fact that you would have inspired and touched so many other people. Now, that being said... I have a, a somewhat, you know, I call that kind of my personal one. I, I do have sort of a, a quasi-personal, quasi-professional one, maybe maybe two. Um, one is, you know, just sort of me dreaming. And obviously doing the show and being able to share my passion this way with people is so rewarding to me. And I love being able to do this. And 
I would love be able to be able to do it even further. And the last time I was, or a few times ago when I was over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I walked by the now empty Radio Disney Studio. And I was like, how cool would it be if I could do this, if I could do what I love from there in Walt Disney World, from those studios, again, I would do it all day, every day. No breaks, no nothing. I would just go morning till night to be right there in the parks, being able to share this and, again, connect with people and help them connect to the parks in this way. That's a great idea. I, I like the way you're thinking. I'm, I definitely that, – that's a good dream. That's first good, first that's special guest, dream. Justin Machoni. First guy in the studio is Justin Machoni. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Now I'm going to highly endorse that dream if you're letting me in on it. So, no, that's a, that, that's on, on again on a lot of levels. That's great, and that's what's so much fun about doing this sort of open-ended dreaming about the effect that Disney has on us is is for each person. You know, a lot of your listeners aren't hosting their own show, so that might not be the thing that jumps out at you. But for you to be able to make it personal, for you to be able to say, "Nah," but for me, for my skills, for what fires me up, this would be the the biggest dream come true, and that's great idea. What else do you have? My last one was my very first one and allow me to explain why this one means something to me before you judge like you. <laughs> when I first started writing my book back in 2003, um, I did it just for the personal challenge. Can I do this? Can I write this book? Can I get it published? Uh, and it's a book that I wanted to read. There was no Walt Disney World trivia book. And I said, God, this is something I would love to see on my bookshelf, and, and I sort of challenged myself to see if I can do it. And then once I did, my dream from day one, and it's a dream that I literally dream every day, would be to have my book sold in the parks. And now, I swear to you, it has nothing to do with any sort of a financial gain or reward. But for me, as a fan of Walt Disney World, since November of 71, the first time I went, if I was to be able to walk in the parks and see something that, that I created there and to be a part of that somehow and be connected with Disney that way would mean the world to me. And then when my, when my second book was published and my daughter was on the cover, I said, if I can walk in and see her there as a child, sort of frozen in that moment in time, and her years from now be able to walk through the parks with her family – to see that would be my ultimate dream. I don't, um, I don't know if you were going for this effect or not, but you got me a little choked up here. That's a, that's a beautiful vision for you, for your family. And I, I completely understand that for you, it's not about a financial gain. It's about the knowledge that something that you created, something that was so deeply passionate to you is shared by others. And, and in a place like the magic kingdom, you could walk in and see, the results of your efforts on display there and, and for sale there for other people to be able to enjoy and take home to their families. That's a, that's an absolutely beautiful thing. You're an author. And so it makes sense that, um, for you, that the kind of climax, the ultimate peak of your dream would be to see that work on display for other people. That's, that's beautiful. You got me choked up. I'm going to stop rambling now because I'll probably start saying something like blubberingly and you'll hear me weeping in the background. So I'll attempt to avoid that. Well, good. Thank you. And I appreciate that. And, um, you know, however, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I'm, as I'm trying to get myself composed here, I'm pretty sure you gave more answers than I gave. So oh, I absolutely. feel like you owe me one more. So, 
you know, just just to just to extend the segment a little bit longer, and also just because you know I can't have you one up me like that. Come on, I mean it's all you're, the show's already got your name on it. You're going to try and make me cry, aren't you? Now, no, I see no, where no, you're no, going. I'm not. <laughs> I, but I am going to say that just because I really enjoyed the fact that, that and, and here's evidence to the listeners that we did not quite talk about all this ahead of time. I love the fact that you sort of separated personal and professional. And just to draw a parallel, you know, you as an author wanting to see your books for sale, um, my original career, <laughs> I've gone through a few of them. Uh, I went to college to be a teacher. I wanted to be a music teacher. Um, I've taken high school marching bands to Walt Disney World to march down Main Street, you know, before. And when I was CMO, I got to work with some of them. And, and teaching is still very much at the core of what I do. And so long-term, professionally, a professional accomplishment for me, I would like to be that crotchety old man someday who who's able to walk in to any of the Disney parks and stand there and look around at all of the young cast members and know that I, in some way, helped to inspire them to do what they're doing. So if I could be a teacher at Disney University, or if I could teach traditions class for first-time cast members, you know, their very very first day of work, kind of as a professional extension of my background in education, um, I would get the same, maybe not exactly the same personal sense of pride that you talked about with your book, but that same pride of being able to look around and know, okay, the impact of my enthusiasm for Disney will live on long beyond me because I was able to share it with all of these other cast members and then they're going to share it with cast members and then, you know, to be able to just see it trickle down over the years. Um, So for me as a teacher, as somebody who loves to look at students and say something I might say could could change the way you see your life, uh, I would love to be able to impart that same sort of feeling in a professional way, you know, through Disney. So just to try to contribute a professional dream as well i'll throw that one out there too now and i think that's awesome and you know some of our dreams may be more realistic than others i can see you as a crotchety old man watching marching down the main street <laughs> <laughs> the crotchety old man part wasn't the dream Lou, oh the i'm sorry because I, I see that happening i see that happening so <laughs> we'll be wheeling ourselves down main street side by side so yes we will but uh i, I think it's, it's it's interesting um to explore each of our dreams uh, and sort of what we think. And I, and more so than that, and this is sort of where we're hoping the segment will go, is that we want to engage the listeners. And I was thinking about two different things. And somebody might listen to Justin's dream and say, no, Justin, you know what? What I think your ultimate dream should be is that you may have never even thought about this. Or, hey, Lou, maybe this is something that you never thought about that maybe this should kind of be your ultimate dream where this would be fun for you to do. But even more than that, I would like to hear from the listeners, and I think you would as well, about what their ultimate Disney World dream would be. And maybe what we can do is have them call into the voicemail. Um, They can leave their message. They can leave their their dream. Try and keep it to around three minutes or so. Um, And we can listen back and maybe play them on the show and maybe comment on them. And even more so, Justin, you know, for some of these dreams – Maybe we can even help them with a real-world path. So if that person does want to be an Imagineer, we can say, hey, you know, this is what your interest is. You want to be an Imagineer. Here's sort of a path that maybe you can take. And maybe that your ultimate dream isn't what you're going to hit, but maybe you'll be able to realize some or all or just even a small part of what your dream might be. 
that that is a fantastic idea. Both of us, you know, expressed through our own personal dreams the desire to see other people, you know, to spread it around to, to other guests, to other cast members. And I think it, it starts right now. And I, I really, honestly, I am looking forward to hearing the voicemails. I want as many people as possible to just flood Blue's voicemail so that he's overwhelmed with work because I don't actually have to sift through all of them. <laughs> um, but call in and share your ideas, share your dreams, and they can be as, as, as simple or as extravagant as you want. Again, we probably should remind them, like, the space-time continuum deal. Um, and then you're right. If it's something that we might have some insight into, hey, here's a step you could take, I would love to be a part of, of seeing that happen. I'm also curious kind of like with the, the first part of it that, that you mentioned, I'm curious to know if you have listeners who you know, have been listening to you for a long time and who know your skill set and your passions, I'd love to hear what they think you should have said for your perfect dream, you know, for your Disney dream. I, I'd just be curious to see what else they might have cooked up for you or, or for me if they feel like that as well. Absolutely. And if they want to call into the voicemail, the, the number's on the website, but it's also 888-703-2171. Uh, it's toll-free. There also is a time limitation, so again, try and keep it around three, maybe four minutes or so. Um, but yeah, share your dreams with us, and Justin is going to come back on the show. We'll talk more about some of these ultimate Disney dreams. Maybe we have a couple of other surprises in store, so definitely stay tuned. Um, and of course, you can still follow up on what Justin's been doing as CMO over at DreamCMO.com. And uh, Justin Machoni, my friend, it's been a lot of fun, and it always is going to be fun, to continue to dream with you and share the dreams as we, as we wind our way through the pathway of life to those crotchety old men on Main Street. And, and yeah, now that I've got this image of you and I in wheelchairs <laughs> on Main Street, I, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time getting that out of my head. And Currently, in the scenario, as I see it in my head, you're stuck in one of the trolley tracks, and I'm laughing at you. Just so you know, that's, uh, that's what I'm seeing at the moment. <laughs> it's going to be going to be a lot of fun to see where all of this goes um, and I can't thank you enough for your friendship for having me on the show and for being able to just indulge me this you know today and and talk about dreams and just see what else is out there for people because um, everyone should have a dream I just I really believe that everyone should have one great dream or several there's no limit on that but there's no chance of that dream coming true if you're not willing to tell somebody or share it with somebody. So you're giving people that first chance to call in and share their dreams. And once you say it out loud, you just never know what might be possible. That's right. And you know what? No matter how big your dream may be, and again, forgive me for getting overly philosophical and, and preachy, but if you have a dream, take that first step. I say it every week on this at the end of the show. Take that first step. It's not gonna. It won't necessarily come to you unless you try and make it happen. And then once you do, you follow Walt's words and you keep moving forward and you can make anything that you want come true if you are passionate and you are patient and you are persistent. I could not have said it better myself, Lou. Thank you for uh, letting me be a part of it. Thanks, Justin.
That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Big, big thanks. Go out once again to my very special guest, Richard Sherman. Always a joy and an honor to have the opportunity to talk to him on the show. Poppin' Guitars, A Spoonful of Sherman, is available at AcousticMusicResource.com as well as Amazon.com. I'll put links to both of those where you can purchase them directly right in this week's show notes at WDWRadio.com. If you are going to be at the D23 Expo, you can meet and hear from Richard Sherman right there prior to the screening of The Boys feature film on Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Walt Disney Studios Theater. Speaking of the D23 Expo, I will not only be there as a Disney fan, but I will also be covering it for the show, and I will have a table in the collector's forum as well. There, I'll be selling my books and CDs and magazines, but most importantly, I look forward to meeting other Disney fans, hopefully some of you listeners as well. I will be there from Thursday through Sunday, September 10th through the 13th. Please come by and say hi. Remember, you don't need to be a D23 member to attend the expo. Uh, For those of you that cannot make it, I am definitely going to be updating you as often and as much as possible through Twitter, Facebook, pictures, audio, video, and not making any promises, but I'm going to try, and I'll find out once I get there if I can, to see if I can do a live video broadcast and chat as I do with the WDW Radio live broadcast every so often. If you are going to be able to make it, my booth is C120. I'll be right across from Stromboli's Trattoria. Is it a coincidence that they put me right near food? Probably not. But anyway, please come by, say hello. I'm going to have lots of giveaways and things going on, so I hope to see you there. Also, thanks go out to Justin Michoni, Disney's CMO, for joining me. And remember, we want you to email us your ultimate Disney dream, or even what you think ours maybe should have been. You can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also use that address to email me your questions to be answered on the show, or if you want to call into the show, be heard on the air from the parks with a question, with a comment, you can call toll-free 888-703-2171. Speaking of upcoming meets, don't forget that September's, it's going to be Saturday, September 26th at 12 noon. That'll be at the Flame Tree Barbecue at Disney's Animal Kingdom in the lower level. That, that is the Adventurers Club Weekend, Everest Challenge, Food and Wine, and Food and Wine. So I'm looking forward to meeting you. That should be a good time in October's. It will be Saturday or Sunday, the 24th or 25th. That is Tower of Terror weekend. Stay tuned for more details as we get closer. Also, don't forget about the Disney Dream Cruise in 2011. Excited about some possible announcements coming at the D23 Expo for the Disney Cruise Line. But we will be looking to cruise on the all-new Disney Dream in 2011. Trying to gauge interests from you, the listeners, when you might like to go. Possible uh, category of staterooms. So go to the show notes. There you'll find a link to the forums and Facebook. No obligation. Just let us know about any possible interest you might have. Also, be sure and check out the site again this week. Look for more new videos being posted. You can find all my videos there in iTunes or on YouTube. And remember, if you subscribe to the show, they'll automatically be downloaded as they are released. Don't forget, in addition to following me on Twitter, come over, friend me up on Facebook, join the WDW Radio Show fan page, Links to all those right on the homepage of WDWRadio.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and DVCbyResale.com. You'll find links to them right at WDWRadio as well. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. 
let others know about it, review the show on iTunes, come join our very fun, very welcoming family over in the discussion forums at WDWRadio.com. But most importantly, thank you for taking the time and tuning in again this week. So until next time, remember, always, always keep moving forward. Take that first step to following your dream. And have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's Lori, and I'm in the back end of the Disneyland Half Marathon right now. Came through Angel Stadium, which is amazing. There's people in the stands cheering, and it's really cool running through there. But just want to call and let you know that the Disneyland Half is very different than the Disney World Half, but it's still a lot of fun and a lot of people. And... I'm sure we'll talk about it someday on the show. So I'll see you at the expo. Bye. Hey, Lou, it's Mary Jo Collins, and I'm calling from the Disneyland Half Marathon. And um, just finished, and it was great. Really looking forward to seeing you and everyone at the D23 Expo. See ya. Hey, Lou. Bruce from Brooklyn, on my way to Disney World by Amtrak, train Silver Star Service, train 91. Just left Penn Station just a couple of minutes ago, about 12 minutes ago. I'm right by 280, right by the Jersey Turnpike. I see the Stickle Bridge, a little off in the distance. I'll check in on my progress, off and on, until tomorrow. Arrival time should be about 20 hours or so from now, so 23 hours, huh? Uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou and all the other listeners. It's Josh calling. Um, this week, I'd like to... Uh, I know that lately I've been doing the changes that I'd like to do to um, the parks and stuff. But instead... Uh, well, this is kind of a change, but it's not my actual idea. So here it goes. Last week I was listening to the voicemails as I always do and the one came up that where she calls in kind of every other week or is most week let's say she calls in about 98% of the time and I'm sorry but I haven't listened to the voicemails um, before I called so um but the family from the suburbs of Cleveland I'd like to say hello um, kudos to you for that idea um i'd like to bring the star wars restaurant into reality i would put that into deep consideration if i ever become an imagineer um i've kind of planned it out a little uh we'd like to have it i'm sorry i didn't listen to your whole voicemail so sorry if i'm i'm not saying your ideas or anything but i mean i'm sure we can blend your ideas um with mine what i'd like to say is that we can make it a character dinner and we're going to have the characters from Star Wars Weekends with those really high-quality costumes like Wicket and a few of the other Ewoks and some Stormtroopers and uh, those, um, man, I forget their name now, the guys with the little sticks that are in the sand. I I forget what they're called. But, um, yeah, someone, I'm sorry, I haven't watched Star Wars for a little while, but um, like Darth Vader, Anakin... We can have a R2-D2 robot. We can have C-3PO. Um, I want to divide it up into a few different rooms. We're going to have, we're going to make it look just like the Death Star. So it will be the Death Star. 
There will be the Ewok Village, where, we'll, where we will have quite a few animatronics. But my favorite room, Moisesley Cantina. And we will have the Cantina Band go up there and play that... <laughs> that one um so uh i'm trying to think of a few other rooms that would be pretty cool but right now i can't really think um be a great character dinner to put in the studios maybe in places sounds dangerous or something or around maybe if we could make some space around star tours that would be really cool so uh thank you and uh if that idea ever becomes a reality i will definitely have you guys come to the imagineering department and help with uh, the plans, and you can take a look at the concept art and costumes and everything, and I think that would be great. So, um, everyone, uh, remember, if we can dream it, we can do it. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's uh, Bruce from Brooklyn again. Three hours, 45 minutes into my odyssey, I'm pulling into Washington, D.C. station, where we're going to switch from the electric locomotive to uh, diesel engines all the way down to Orlando. So far, everything's fine. Doing good on schedule. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Carl from Minnesota. I was just calling to let you know that I love your show, and um, I had uh, listened to your show for quite some time, but now I'm getting back into it. Um, Yeah, and I had your second trivia book, and I had not known that you had done it until very recently when I saw it in my basement under a box. And so now I've been reading it, and I love it. Uh, thank you. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, this is Bruce from Brooklyn. It's 23 hours, 15 minutes. My journey is over. Hello, Orlando. Uh, thanks. Nice talking to all you guys. One adventure ends, another begins. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Erica from Davie, Florida. I just found out that me and my family are going to Walt Disney World for my 16th birthday. I had to call and tell you. I was wondering if you could possibly make the meet of the month for November um, at Magic Kingdom on the 16th or at MGM on the 15th. That would be so amazing. Thanks so much for all of your great advice. You know so much about Walt Disney World. And I hope to see you in November. Bye. (laughs) 